0: Yeah, they thrive on finding the new things like we talked about, you know, we've talked about brand loyalty a little bit. And I think brand loyalty is going to look very different um, when they're the core demographic of consumers, for sure.
1: Welcome to Brews News Week, episode 418, recorded today, Thursday, the 11th of May, 2023. I'm your host, Sabrina Kunz, and I'm joined today by regular co-host, industry consultant and brewer, Ian Watson. Hey, Ian.
2: Hey, Sabrina. How are you?
1: Good. And also back by popular demand, Claire Clouting. How are you, Claire?
0: Good. Thank you. It's nice to be back again.
1: We'll crack into the news because I feel like this week could be a bit of a doozy. The first uh, piece of news that we have coming straight out of CBC that finished uh, today, Australia time, uh, is an article from Matt who and with the headline, No Growth, The New Normal for Craft. And I encourage everybody to read the article, but I'll sort of say there were three main takeaways out of the article. The first was... Um, You know, industry in the US should no longer be anticipating significant growth and sort of 0 to 1% is the new normal. Uh, The second um, interesting note was that tap rooms and brew pubs continue to represent an opportunity. But tap rooms and brew pubs that opened in 2018 showed growth of 20%, while those opening before 2018 grew at just 2%. And finally, the third takeaway was really around, uh, and and I'll read the line from the article, to put it as bluntly as possible, craft has the lowest percentage of female drinkers and black, indigenous and people of colour drinkers of any beverage alcohol category. And all of the growth in beverage alcohol is coming from female and Black, Indigenous and people of colour. So uh, craft is going to need to change some things if they're going to connect with this diverse generation. So I'll pause there and just say right now we're going to play a little mini interview that I did with Matt this morning out of the US uh, that sort of fills in a little bit more around and provides some context to those. So we'll give that a listen now. Today joining me from the U.S. reporting straight from CBC is founder and editor of Freeze News, Matt Kierkegaard.
3: (laughs) Hey Sabrina, how are
0: you? Good.
3: Good morning, I should say. It's 5.30 here. You can probably hear from my voice. I've been talking um, for three days solid um, and, you know, maybe a little bit of a... well, no boot scooting, no. Um, as you know, Na- Nashville is an incredible place, um, but I've been very, very well behaved, as uh, I'm sure anyone will tell you.
1: <laughs> um, so, Matt, we've got you on the line today to, to drop into our Bruce's Week conversation, because you posted an article and obviously you've been at CBC for three days. Um And you posted an article with no growth, the new normal for craft based on a presentation from Chief Economist for the US Brewers Association, Bart Watson. And it seemed like there were sort of three key themes coming out of that. And I was hoping that we could get five minutes of your time to kind of run through them.
3: Absolutely. And I I, I might just say, um, yeah, I I knew you'd be talking about this on the podcast and there was so much just from that presentation and then, and then the rest of it that I thought I would just sort of give a little bit of context around it before you guys talk about it on the show. And really, really fascinating. Now, the thing about it, I've stripped out all of the um, positivity. There's a lot of bad messages that were presented on a pillow. Um, you know, it's kind of, it can't be all doom and gloom because it's the first day of a conference with 11,000 people and you can't bring them down. I've distilled what those key messages are. So you need to remember that there were other things that they were talking about in addition to that, but the things that they were talking about were, we need to innovate, we need to do other different things. But then the scary thing about that was that there was a whole lot, we need to do something else. We need to do other things, but we it was almost, we all need to do the same other things. And that's part of the problem that brought us here.
1: Yeah. So Matt, the first of the... And I mean, you've titled the article, uh, No Growth, The New Normal for Craft." But, you know, the sort of first key message out of, um, it seems from this article was that, um, you know, everybody should be expecting zero to 1% growth for the coming years.
3: That's a very scary thing. You know, after years and years of 10 to 15% growth and projections of we are going to be this percentage of the the beer market. These are the craft beer numbers. So the beer market is falling um, as we know, but craft beer is not expected to grow. So we still have breweries coming into the market, but the market itself isn't growing, particularly at you know, what they call their regional, which is their distribution level um, businesses, um, which actually fell slightly. And then their small breweries um, was was stable. Um, but that's actually quite a worrying uh, thing. So yes, and uh,
1: so the pie is staying the same. And there's still, I At think, best. I think in the in the um, article, you sort of said for the first time ever, the percentage of openings versus so there's still more breweries opening. Uh, then breweries closing and, and the gap has widened, but there's still more entrance to market in a pie that is not getting bigger.
3: Although that gap is narrowing very quickly. Right. The next 18 months will be fascinating. So this time next year, the data will be really interesting to see because, but again, putting a fairly positive spin on it was saying that it'll probably, they'll meet and it'll be one in, one out from yes. now on. Um, I actually suspect there is going to be a period where closings exceeds openings for a while. That's mm-hmm. just my feel.
1: In the U.S. or in Australia? This
3: is only the U.S. data. Yeah. Um, but we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, what happens? What happens in Australia? It's a different markets to some extent, but there are going to be some macro trends that are in common.
1: And then the next sort of key theme that came out or key lesson was, you know, really around that brew pub taproom experience. And we've talked about for a long time that that was an opportunity for small small to medium breweries. And the BA says that it is. But they've, you know, put some caution on that around, um, you know, a 2018 break.
3: The very scary thing about, so 7% growth for brew, brew pubs and taprooms, so, which, is, which is quite positive. But then, when they broke the data down that said brew pubs and taprooms that opened before 2018 you know, are functionally seeing no growth, it's the ones that have opened in the last you know, five years that are seeing 20% growth. So, novelty and constant innovation, um, which is terrifying because you can't open a business and know what you're going to be without constantly innovating. So you're never going to find that existence phase is what that data says to me. You're never just going to happily go on. You need to be constantly. Um, and there, there was a bit of a sub theme that I'm drawing on a couple of the other presentations I went to is that this idea of just opening a brew pub. And you know, most brew pubs you walk into, there is a sameness about the experience. You know. We're well past the stage where craft beer is the attraction of a brew pub. You are a hospitality venue that you need to know who you are and what you want to be, and then the venue has to reflect that. You can't just be the local brew pub. You have to be the you know the local that makes its own beer. Um, you know, and and that and that's. Yeah, so so that's where those trends are going. Um, And I I think that's going to be a challenge. If that flows through to Australia, that's going to be an interesting challenge.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. It would be fascinating for us to do some data on, you know, who opened pre-2018. So that's five years. And I mean, Mm -hmm. just even at a real basic, you know, to do a venue refresh is... Highly capital intensive at a time when, you know, like the the challenge this presents, that this data presents and tells you what the consumers say whether are you have for. to do a
3: makeover or anything yeah. like that. But again, um, you know, if that, that's thing like anyone before twenty eighteen, is a brew pub. You know, it's, mm. it's and you can picture it straight away. There are yes. tanks. There are a yep. bar. There are those IKEA stools. There is a wood. You know, that whole thing. I get the sense is starting to date a little bit and. Uh, you know new breweries that are opening can't go if your business plan is three or four or five years old and you want to do the thing that you fell in love with five years ago and that's what you want to open with you may have to have sort of think about how you freshen that up.
1: That's fascinating. I mean, my mind has just gone a million different directions on that. But um, focusing on this article, so the third, um, I guess, key lesson that you pulled out and one that I know we've been talking about at Brews News for a while is that, uh, you know, the headline is Craft Not Attractive to New Generation of Markets. And it basically concludes that all of the growth in beverage alcohol is in female and black, Indigenous people of colour, drinkers. So we're going to need to change some things if we're going to connect with this diverse generation.
3: Yeah, and and that was from Bart's talk. And since then, I've I've been to a couple of others. And again, kudos to you, Sabrina, because, you know, when you joined us and even before when we were talking, I think when you were still at the Brewers Guild of New Zealand, Gen Z was your mantra. Um, And the the, the data I saw today... um, I think the detail of the data isn't as important as the fact that Gen Z is a fundamentally different demographic than anything that's gone before. Um, the really good quote for the talk about Gen Z um, started by saying, generations develop lifelong values and attributes based on the world they grow up in. And Gen Z has grown up in a different, um, you know, than Gen X and millennials. Um, Gen uh, Millennials are the generation that carried craft beer, and they're maturing. They're passing through the, the, the system. Gen Z thinks differently. They are very, very different values. You know, things that Gen X had to grapple with, Millennials learned Gen Z are just natives in a whole lot of these, you know, culture war things, um, by and large. And then they're also the most diverse population in history. Um, partic- even more so in America and that is going to present massive challenges for an industry that hasn't modernised itself you know craft beer has been carried by millennials and again my little thing is when I reflected on it the craft beer revolution and the innovation that has been a fashion You know, beer is a constant but there have been some fashions that are passing through craft beer, and that is, I think, because of the newness and the novelty, hidden some of the really structural problems in what the messaging beer says. And on one hand, as I said, the yeah, they're looking for looking at the beer adjacent categories, looking at the beyond beer categories as, as ways for growth. but that doesn't tackle the fundamental problems that beer presents to a new generation of drinkers. And, you know, there there is a, as I often say, the PhD thesis and that. Had a really good chat, um, immediately as the conference closed with Adam Tripp-Smith, Phil Meddings, and Nick Boots, who we had on the podcast recently. Um, And and I I don't want to, you, you guys have got the podcast to run, so they're my learnings. But next Tuesday night, listen to that because we explore some of those things and take a deeper dive into that. But yeah, no, really, really stimulating conference, um, despite the the, the the some of the negativity, fascinating things that, uh, yeah, brewers should really be um, looking into and listening to.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's never been more important time for us to come together as an industry and figure things out so that we can all work together mm-hmm. going forward, right?
3: If the industry rests on its craft beer laurels, the excitement, you know, craft beer promise so much, in terms of reinvigorating the beer category. But I think so much of the things that we've seen that have come to represent craft beer are passing phases, even some of the longer ones. And it's culture, it is service, it is understanding customers, it is those sorts of things are really, really going to, the industry has some major things it needs to to tackle. Um, we, we, which again is going to be lots of fodder for content for us.
1: Great. All right. Well, thanks for reporting out um, from CBC, Matt. And no doubt, I think you'll be back next week on the pod.
3: Get back Sunday, so I'll we'll be back on the pod to uh, to talk post to debrief uh, next week. Yeah.
1: Cool. Thanks, Matt. See ya. Right, Claire and Ian. That was my chat with Matt um and so happy to pick up on any of the points sort of from the article that we talked about that sort of really jumped out at you
2: yeah i think uh it's not surprising that um no real growth is is happening and we uh have to look now we we are a little bit behind that in the us so we've probably got a little bit of a way to go before we're fully at that stage but let's look at it as though we're in that same position there is only so much met- penetration that we're probably ever going to get to. Um, in the marketplace as a whole, the alcohol marketplace as a whole, without some industry-wide um, strategy uh, and some thoughts about what we can do on that. And it's only when we do that that we can maybe look at taking further market share uh, than what we as a group already have. Now, that doesn't mean your individual business is not going to grow. Your individual business might still grow at 90 or 100%, but that's going to be coming off at someone else's expense um, or at um, the fact that someone else is not growing and you're you're getting part of their market share share growth. So I I think it's going to be, um, you know, I I think we can see that um, same situation happening here uh, in Australia. doesn't mean that you can't make yourself more profitable. Either we can all look and think about how, our business can do that. Um, how we can rationalise things, how we can save a few few cents, or what we're doing that is perhaps uh, a little bit wasteful of our of our resources. Um, and then we need to. I, I, I really do think we need to look at um, what we're doing in as an industry and how we can grow our industry, the the entire category, and then our niche within that category. And then each of us has our own niche again within. Uh, Within that, and certainly, yeah, we do have to look at how we can diversify ourselves and make ourselves uh, more relevant to um, other demographics than what we're currently appealing to, which is a very, a largely white middle-aged male market.
1: (laughs) It's really interesting. So just to pick up on that before I go to you, Claire, um, you know, what Matt and I talked about was that that pie is not growing and that for the first time, you know, he, he talked about the numbers around brewery openings versus brewery closures. And we sort of said, well, what does that mean for the Australian market? But it did say the overall pie for craft, um, and you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm doing inverted commas for craft is not growing and their number of sort of hoping it would hit 15% is sort of the projected numbers that the IBA has for craft. So um the markets are quite different but when we look at the overall percentage and that sort of makeup of small medium and large given our population size you know there are lessons to be learned but that was a really you know it was a pretty stark warning and as Matt said you know there was some positive stuff and little bits and pieces that that, um, Chief Economist Bart Watson talked about around the edges. But if there's no growth for the category and most breweries are looking at 1% to 0% growth and we've still got breweries entering the market, the real question is how many are going to be leaving the market in this next 18 months and what that number does. And so that is for... uh, and I'll flip to maybe the next thing and, and Claire, but sort of related to that is how many of those brew pubs or of those breweries that are going to leave the market are ones that opened pre-2018? Because as Matt said, that the insinuation and the topic that came up is that it actually requires like ongoing investment in novelty and innovation, which is actually not, great or helpful for sustainable brands
0: i've got a lot of thoughts on <laughs> this <laughs> i am surprised you know that we haven't been having this conversation a lot more frequently up until now like not wanting to catastrophize here but i think if we can think about you know the states a bit like being the canary in the coal mine here australia's got an advantage because we can see what's happening over there and we get to react a little bit quicker and hopefully Um, perhaps not see the exodus of Uh, venues? I don't know
1: I feel like Claire um, this is why Matt and I often feel bad which is I feel like we've been canary in the coal mining it for about 18 months and just saying it's not it's the it's not looking good Uh, which is um, which is why this is sort of uh, for me unsurprising and yet Um, And I know we're just going to mention them later, but we sort of saw two additional administrations in, not directly in the beer industry this week, but in and around. And so, you know, the the question really is, like, how far is the cliff? Yeah. Like, where's the cliff? And and how deep is it, you know? (laughs) It's a bit scary.
0: And I think like, if you're entering into business, particularly a venue to this point now, you've got to be prepared to do the work and keep current. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be tiring, because you're going to have to keep changing with the times, anticipating what people need. Otherwise, you are going to have a short shelf life in terms of business. Um, I've got a Gen Z at home. I know exactly what they're like. and And I think Part of the problem is there was a great article in The Guardian about it a couple of weeks ago. It was fabulous and it was about how businesses are bringing in Gen Z people to help them with their marketing strategies. I think even one mentioned that they've appointed a CEO, mm. which you know, is a bit of a buzzword, but yeah, it makes total sense because businesses are gonna need that diversity in their running of their business to understand what needs um, they're gonna have to adjust to. to to literally stay busy and keep selling beer
1: and I think you know the point that it it links together and this is sort of um uh you know off my Matt and I went round in circles but again there's sort of this question that says craft beer over the last sort of 15 years almost built itself on novelty and fat we're introducing the next thing it's the next big hop it's this we sort of um, you know, new releases, newbies every week. We sort of create, we've created a rod for our own back, for want of a better word, at an industry wide level. So I'm, you know, talking globally. We've we've created this rod for our own back, and so, it, but what it shows you is that the consumer in these in these venues wants newer, novel, and we've associated craft, quote unquote, with newer, novel, which is really dis- difficult to sustain long-term. And, and I'll just sort of flip it on to the next thing, which is, um, you know, this Gen Z consumer, we've been talking about it for a while. Uh, we've been talking about the change in in drinking patterns or just consumer preferences more broadly. But, you know, True Craft give the side eye to, um, I mean, I hate seltzer, but give the side eye to products like seltzer or or beer adjacent or even, and the example I gave to Matt earlier today is like a Gartler, a a traditional gatler. In Germany, that's a normal way that you might drink a beer in the summer. It's not necessarily a gateway. It's just another way to drink. And when you entered, when craft kicked off, we sort of said, that's all shit. To be a real craft drinker, you need to do X. You need to fit this mould. And actually it's sort of coming back round to roost now which is that actually this concept of beer is for everyone, there's a beer for every occasion, we can't be judgy about which beer you drink, but we can still, you know, offer it to you. We sort of haven't elevated the service of it, you know. Uh, There's just all of these things wrapped up in this that goes, we've actually got to really, really perform some structural change as an industry so that when we hit the bottom of the cliff we can kind of come back up the other side because if we don't rebuild fundamentally differently to now and even, you know, as Matt pointed out and in all of these Facebook groups, the meme about the dude in the black T-shirt with a big beard is walking around at CBC and we have got to dispel that to survive.
2: Absolutely agree with all all those points. Uh, back onto when you're talking about the the brew pubs that were growing or those that have opened more recently, um, that is something that you know we, we always have to consider. If you've got a business, how are you going to keep growing your business? How are you going to keep growing your base? How are you going to keep relevant? And I think there's something actually I was just thinking about recently. When you're starting something, you've got to with your brand and your branding and your marketing, you've got to immediately look at what your business can do, what your brand can do, and can you see it in its current form being realistically irrelevant um, and appealing in 10 years, in 15 years, and in 20 years' time. So are people going to be into that? in that time. If it's something that they're really into now and they were into 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, in one way or another, you can go, maybe there is. Um, Maybe there's something that we can grow along there. If it's something that's really just appealed in the last few years, is this going to last or is this going to be, um, and by this I'm not talking about necessarily your products, maybe your products, but your approach, your branding, your marketing, your name, how juvenile does it sound, how mature does it sound, how really... Just in this moment does it sound and what can you do to build that so that you can you can keep relevant, you can keep growing and that you're not finding that after four years you've had a buzz and now someone's on to the next thing and you are going to have to do a complete about-face um, and change around in order to, to build your business back up and you may have already lost it by then.
1: Well, we were talking about, uh, you know, when you think about venues, right, so let's call it 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, I mean, you can picture the type of craft beer venue, right? little bit sort of industrial, um, you could get cheap chairs, you could get cheap tables, you know, sort of cement everywhere, that cold sort of feel. That was cool and that was vibey. And now we're sort of seeing, okay, you've got to have clean lines, plants every, like you're seeing sort of the, the vibe of what people want in venues changing. And if you have created you know, Matt made this excellent point, but if you were a brewery in planning three or four years ago and you had this vision for what your venue is going to look like and you haven't changed that vision in the four years that you've been in planning and you haven't even, like, you know, opened yet, um, that's probably not setting, you know, a good foundation for the next steps because preferences are changing even just in the physical environment, all the time and and breweries have focused on beer brew pub second or beer tap tap room second and I think you know one of the things this is saying is you really need to be a hospitality venue first that then makes really cracking beer right and and trading on craft beer trading on this is the argument I've been making in various forms recently but why isn't beer part of the Australian foodie scene? Like, if you come at it as a foodie and then say we make great beer and yeah we serve local wines, that's one thing. But we kind of come at it that says you'll come to us for the for the beer and then maybe we'll give you a good experience. And I think really strategically, it's got to be flipped on its head.
0: Oh look, I 100% agree with that. You know how many places just do pizzas and stuff, and there's nothing wrong with pizzas, but. You know, it, we've had a couple of venues pop up here that do slightly different food. And that's definitely been a factor of, like, getting people interested in going. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that the upcoming generation of drinkers, they're approaching alcohol in a totally different light. So they're more conscious, health-related, environmental, social, not to mention they live a lot of their lives online. Yep. So they want to be in, like, picturesque, photogenic venues you know, with their friends. And, and I think a big thing is some of the venues that seem to be doing really well in WA are ones that are planning, you know, bands, other activities. You know, they're ha- having to throw a lot into drawing people into the venues.
1: Yeah. I think it's that sociability piece. I was reading a a really interesting article that basically said, um, you know, post-pandemic a lot of people were focused on smaller events with their close family and friends, so less sort of wanting to attend big public things. So when they did leave the house, it needed to be for a good reason. And I recall being on actually a WABBA panel last year, Bronte from eagle bay was talking about that they've got sort of their instagrammable spots and i every part of morsel of my being hates that um but to your point claire they're trying to ensure that they're providing this really great hospitality experience but they have this thing that would cause gen z to go yeah i'd be happy to take my photo there right and so you know, that is smart. Um, easy times have done it here in Brisbane with this sort of super colourful, great place to stand wall. Um, and so venues are, when they're planning, thinking about those aspects that make them attractive. Um, but, you know, clearly, a- and our environment in Australia is slightly different to um, to the US in terms of the diversity in I guess all pockets of Australia, it's slightly different. Um, but we've certainly got a problem that it's still millennials have carried the drinking for craft beer, and there's nobody coming in behind it, or not nearly as many. With no, with with less um, cohesive. So so this is one of the big points that came out, which is the reason marketers struggle with Gen Z is because it's it's so far from a monolith. And it's so diverse that it's really hard to find points that join things up.
0: So yeah, sad. they thrive on finding the new things. Like we talked about, you know, we've talked about brand loyalty a little bit, and the, I think brand loyalty is going to look very different mm. um, when they're the core demographic of consumers for sure. Yeah, oh,
2: and- absolutely. Yeah, we're not going to have the situation with the uh, dominant beer brands that we've had. That's not to say that the uh, big houses aren't still going to be the biggest producers, but I don't think we're going to have the situation where we've had like, say, uh, 15 years ago or 20 years ago when VB was the, the biggest beer and were, then Forex was the biggest beer and they're quite a margin to the others. I don't see that being the case. However, I'm not I'm not of that generation. I'm not a specialist in it, but um, it, it certainly wouldn't appear that way that that's why it's going to be in the beer market.
0: I'd be really interested to see what the big guys are doing in terms of um, the diversity amongst their marketing and um, innovation teams, because I think that's going to be key because yep. it's the only way they're going to understand how to create brands and products for these guys is to actually have them at the table. I think if you've got a bunch of, you know, Gen X's and boomers trying to figure out what what these guys want, you're just it you're not going to get there.
1: I had a really interesting conversation with someone last week and we were really unpacking this Gen Z problem because I was talking about it from a media perspective, you know, in an information age, how do we reach everybody in the industry and make sure they feel part of building the new future of our industry, right? How do we create that engagement beyond maybe the people that are engaged now? Because that's where the future is and you should be, you know, folks in Gen Z that work in beer should be integral to building what comes next. So how do we engage them? I was having this conversation with someone. We were talking about marketing at the big breweries, in particular in light of um, the news we had last week around Lion uh, and, and what they've been doing in their portfolio. And we were just sort of saying it's like they outsource it to people in marketing in separate companies who come back with something based on the product they've got and everybody goes, Yahoo, and they all sort of send it off into the world. But there is this disconnect between really understanding beer and what we have to offer and then really understanding consumers and the broad consumers and the different ways. So I just think, you know, I couldn't agree more, Claire, but I would sort of say, I mean, if we watch what's happening in Lion, they're not getting it. And yet Bolter. and I would love to have this conversation, but that beer is for everyone. I know I've said it for about 12 weeks in a row now. That hits the nail on the head for the conversation we should be having and where we should be going. Like everybody play it three times a week and go, how do I find my spot in that ad as a business? How do I do this? Because um, that's what the Gen Z consumer demands from us. And I'm not saying legacy consumers won't be there. You know, millennials aren't dying off anytime soon, um, but when we're, we're not building that base in underneath. Anything else out of that? I know, so Matt's going to do a podcast or has recorded a sort of a debrief um, that will come out as part of the Beer as a Conversation next Tuesday, we hope. Um, but anything else out of that that sort of, I mean, it's sort of swirling around all of the topics we know we need to get onto, to. And, and we've got these big conferences this year, and this would be my pitch um as I've just sort of said, you know, Gen Z should be part of it. But we've got the Wobber Conference and we've got uh, BrewCon. I don't know that there's ever been a more important time for industry to get together, start having these tricky conversations and basically say we're all going to hold our hands and help figure this out. Like we're all a part of figuring this out because I I just think um, it's going to be a bit ruthless out there from a business standpoint. And it's easy to sort of look down and kind of run with your own business. Um, But that collegiality and that kind of learning and having the tough conversations together, I just think we're at such a critical point, you know, come to your conference, whichever one is yours. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I know so let,
2: letting that sink into myself a little bit even then, but yeah but yeah, no, we, we we absolutely do. We can't just keep talking that we have to talk. we actually have to start doing it and, and making um and it's something we need everyone's input on once yeah. again um, in order to be able to make something successful. and it's uh, as we were talking a few weeks ago um, on I think it was the it was this one of the spirits associations in the in the US. And a 20-year plan. So we, we've got to put in, start putting in place now things for, for, for beer um, that are come going come to come into fruition um, and reach maturity when I'm getting into the twilight of, of my career. Um, that's, that's what we're going to be doing is doing that now.
0: Uh, I think it's going to be interesting being at these conferences and talking about this because, like, obviously, the diversity thing has completely stuck out to me. I've been wondering this whole time, like, why are we almost ignoring 50% of the population? You know, that's low hanging fruit, right? Um, But I'll go and stand in a conference and I will, you know, will be among a minority of of women at them. So, you know, we, we need to face that head on and. And be pretty um open about who we are as an industry and how we can do better there as well. Yeah.
2: And that's that's where I think and and um I'm gonna question the own validity of my my own point here being being a male, but where we need to reach out to women that aren't deeply involved in the industry because um women that are involved in the industry have grown up in and around it and possibly accepted some of the flaws for how we um look at diversity issues um, with with relation to to to, um, to their gender um, and uh, probably you know well, maybe not but but, but but maybe a little bit more accepting and what we need to do is reach out to women that aren 't in there that they do would like a beer um, and would like to um, like beer more or find beer more accessible and to see what it is that we 're not doing um, or what we could do better
1: or at a very minimum would be prepared to walk into one of our venues and say I instantly feel comfortable here even if I'm going to order the seltzer or the ginger beer or the ghadla or the wine and yep maybe I'll get to the beer but the venue and hospitality experience is welcoming and a place that I would want to be like if we can achieve that (laughs) You know, as an industry, I think you know Matt was joking where he said he walked into an event at CBC and um, you know he wears his button-up shirts and he's super tall and lanky and he's like he's like I stood out as a as a white male not in a black t-shirt who wasn't overweight and didn't have a beard like a sore thumb and he's like I just can't imagine what it would be like being one of these minority groups walking into a venue like that. He goes. You would just walk in and you turn around and walk out again, because you'd be like, "There's no place for me here." And he's and so that problem is something we've got to solve for. And and I think you know, um, I've been to plenty of venues and the vast majority I feel super comfortable in, but it's still a vibe on our socials. Um, that we need to think about. So something that, um, just sort of looping into the next news story, which is something that I think is super exciting and is actually probably one of the pillars to help solve some of these issues that we've talked about, is this new initiative for Cicerones that has been launched in Australia. So uh, this week, Yep, it's Thursday, so it was this week. Launched by Lions' former craft beer ambassador, team leader, and events, cicerone Paul Daly, the um, and I should get the the Australian certified cicerone community. It's quite a lengthy uh, name, but. Um, nonetheless, the purpose of the community is to support those that have completed and are completing formal study through the Cicerone Certification Program. Um, and, and for those that don't know, certified Cicerone is really about elevating um, proper service um, of beer. So so that's really sort of it's about creating that um that elevated experience for beer and really treating it as if you would a fine wine or any other fine delicacy. Uh, And I think that in um, Paul's comments to Brews News, he made a really insightful comment, which is the overall decline of beer consumption and purchasing frequency versus other categories is due to a shift in how consumers perceive beer and the occasions that it's suitable for. He said the groups aim to combat the decline with professional education and increased advocacy for those who interact with consumers in the service of beer, an area that other competing categories have successfully invested in more than the beer category. And so, um, you, you know, I just think this is bang on for all of the troubles and challenges that we um, talked about before. And it is a purely voluntary organisation at this stage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Um where we're we're seeing we're showing more focus into beer service and knowledge around beer service and knowledge of beer that's not just um technical brewing front um, but is in the consumer front of of of, of beer um, people the the public probably don't care for some of the things that Claire and I deal with on a um, weekly or daily basis, but they do care for a knowledge about the beer where it's come from and um how is a way that they can consume it enjoyably um, and what's a, an occasion to do that. Um, and it's that public education front is what um, programs like this are really good for. So both the Cicerone and then the IBD had one a few years back too. Um, the, oh, I'm forgetting what the name of that was. Um, but um, yeah, things like this where, where we can train our industry um, and work with our industry and give support for those who are the... The public-facing front and how they can help elevate elevate beer. And uh, great to see a group of those professionals here in Australia starting to get together and and work together. And we as an industry need to to support them every way we can.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I just I see so much potential engagement here with the consumer. It absolutely loops back into you know the other story. Also, you know, listening to Miro, same thing. You know, if you can give someone a great experience with beer. Um, you know, you've got them. You've got a potential consumer for life there. So, yeah, fantastic.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's so admirable about this group, um, I I had quite a lengthy call with Paul when we received the media release, was just, you know, he's been toiling away at the idea for about a year. Other folks have jumped on the leadership team. It is super grassroots. Um, The only request at this stage is get on and follow, Um, you know, get involved in their social media because, what they are trying to do, um, agnostic of a particular company, so agnostic again of a particular beer brand is, you know, um, if they could educate everyone who served beer in the country uh, to every consumer, imagine what that could do for A, consumer expectations of beer, which then leads to, you know, that question of, well, if consumers don't expect it to be uh, I, I don't know what the word, the best word is, lowbrow, easy access. If they expect it to be something a bit, you know, above standard, that is then going to be the bar that, you know, foodies, restaurants, uh, other companies, airlines come to the party and say, yeah, this is a product that we can serve in all of those other circumstances. So I just think it's just, um I, I always balk at anything that is, um you know, Cicerone is obviously a company that derives money from the exams. So I always sort of balk at anything where there's an entity at the end that has an interest in getting money out of it. On the flip side, um, it is one of the only programs around that does this. And this particular group is a voluntary group that um, has pulled together to, to, to address those problems. And so kudos to them. So a bit of good news. Another piece of news this week, new hop varieties for Clayton Hops. So this is coming out of NZ, a collaboration between Clayton Hops and Plant and Food Research. We'll see up to six new varieties of hops being grown in Aotearoa, New Zealand, offering brewers worldwide exciting novel flavours. Clayton Hops, New Zealand's largest hop grower, have partnered with Plant and Food Research. These selections chosen for their unique flavour and aroma characteristics will offer Clayton Hops customers exclusive access to an enhanced portfolio of hop products designed with brewers in mind. So um, Clayton Hops remains part of the NZ Hops cooperative, but is the largest um, producer um, within the cooperative. And a couple of years ago, really invested in some of their Uh, production and manufacturing equipment um, which will be used in part through NZ Hops but will be used exclusively for Clayton Hops and Plant and Food have always partnered really strongly with NZ Hops Um, that's of course Superdelic and Nectaron come through the Plant and Food program but Plant and Food also have a relationship with Freestyle Hops in NZ which is the um, uh, Harpy, through the Harpy um, Garage Project uh, uh, program. And so, you know, from my mind, this was just um, plant fooder saying, you know, we'll work with anyone um, to create these, but because you will invest the time in growing and the cultivars and the, you know, um, as Matt discussed with in the interview with Ron Beetson, sort of a 20-year program to get it to life, um, Clayton Hops then get the benefit of that
2: investment yeah there's always new and wonderful stuff coming from new zealand hops um same as here in uh, australia and most of the time you know I've, I've often been lucky enough over the years to get to play with some of them beforehand and, and release some beers with them uh i did that uh, i was doing that last year with some of the, the the latest releases from new zealand hops and at that stage we only get to um have a number uh for that beer like you know 102 and so we'll put it a beer out It's it's 102 and then later, you know, it, it gets renamed as um, Superdelic. So in those scenarios, we can have the situation where we've got something on there that the customer no longer really knows what the name is because it was now 102, but it's um Superdelic now. So we're probably looking for a way that we can – um we can we can let the customer know what the name of this hop is now and we might want to look at a way that we can rebrand that and put a new label onto the can or or a shrink sleeve or something like that. So that's where we could like reach out to 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 our good friends at Rallings Labels stickers and packaging um and and see what they could do to help us with the with the mini mini billboard for beer and where we can let people know that one oh two is now known as um superdelic. So if if you're in one of these situations where you've been playing with, you know, a HPA uh, O one six, and you now need to let let everyone uh, know what the what the new name of that is, or or NZ one O two. You can call the guys at Rallying on one three hundred eight five two two three five, or email sales at rallying dot com
1: Honestly, Ian, I was sitting there going, I wonder what he's about to say next.
2: <laughs> I was almost going to start laughing because I thought, oh yeah, they're going to they're probably wondering what's he on about. Okay, yeah, right, I see where he's going with this one now
1: right well that's all it for sort of hard-hitting news we have had today um news from around the world today something that dropped today congratulations to bucketies brewing co who received a silver in the world beer cup in the category english mild or bitter for their sunday bitter it was the only australian brewery to receive a gong at the world beer cup this year so congrats to uh bucketies brewing Congrats. Yeah,
2: fantastic. Congratulations.
1: Other bits and pieces of news. Um, and guys, you can pick up on anything here that's of interest to you. Um, but just shout out expressions of interest are open for Brew Lab on the Gold Coast. So if you are in Southeast Queensland and want to get involved in that program, EOIs are open. Details are on our website. Drinkwise has has launched a new program with the Queensland Hotels Association. Um, you can read all about that on our website. But interestingly, for us, it pointed out that Queensland has some statistically some of the largest amounts of overconsumption, particularly in regional Queensland. And so this is aimed at targeting initiatives aimed at targeting um, particular age groups in in regional Queensland, which is why they've partnered with the Queensland Hotels Association. Good Beer Week is returning this week um, which is uh, an IBA initiative now although we know it's had iterations in the past and notwithstanding some of the headlines that you might have seen as industry, I encourage you to dig into the program because there are some really great examples of elevated beer experiences within that program. I'm not sure that the broader media who cover the beer industry want that to be our narrative because you know they're really focused on um they haven't grabbed the headlines those experiences um which has made me a little bit furious they're really focused on you can do karaoke and you can do these other things, and I'm not suggesting they're not fun experiences. But when you've got a um, Japanese food matching with beer, like that, that's the sort of story we want to be telling about the industry. Um, but the broader media is picking it up, and that's not what they're focusing on. That so you know, sort of full circle back to the other one, we got some work to do there. But um, if you're in Melbourne, there's some pretty fun stuff to do by the looks of it, and you know. Uh, One that we wanted to quell some rumours on pretty quickly, Easy Times are selling their brew house. Um, As they say in their media release, no, they're not downsizing. Uh, I had kind of expected Russell might phone in with a little bit of a voicemail this week saying, hey, guys, we're not downsizing. Um, We're still going to have a pilot system. We have just decided um, part of the changes they're making to their business coming out of administration is that they want more room for seating for consumers. Their venue is right across the road from a stadium. Their brew kit is quite sizable for the size of their venue and they actually want that space for consumers. Um, and that's a change that they have known they needed to be making and are looking at options. So um, their brewer is staying. They're going to have a pilot system but they just um, need the space. So no rumours, nobody's closing. couple updates. We've had two administrations in the last week. Caddy. Um, and booze bud, uh, and I saw you know a couple of comments from smaller beer producers saying, "Hey Caddy, why won't you um, answer my calls? And how do I get my beer out? And how do I get it distributed?" And then on Caddy's Facebook, they're saying, "Look, we're still working. We're still dealing with customers. So it's obviously um, those early days of administration, and it's a bit of a mess right now." So it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, their first meeting of creditors is not until next week and as we've explained multiple times, it's not until the second meeting of creditors when there's a formal um, proposal made that you've got any indication what the future might be for, for that entity. Um, and a similar story for Boozebud. Um, so not great news on that front.
2: Yeah, uh, I was at a tasting last Friday afternoon and... Um, when uh uh, i think caddy was last thursday that it it went uh and i ran into someone from the beer industry from another brewery um from interstate and they were someone that is affected and they were still up in the air and not knowing what they were going to be able to do actually asked me some some questions as someone who'd been through an administration situation Um, unfortunately i wasn't able to answer it um because from i was Coming at it from a different angle. Um, but there were certainly a lot of questions there at, at at that stage, and it would have affected multiple breweries being a, a distribution point. Um, so we'll just have to see what what rolls and comes from from there. Caddy was still relatively young, uh, three year or still are, I should say, relatively young business, three years um or thereabouts. So there's probably still at an uptake stage. So you uh, there is always difficulties in in getting through that, so we'll see what what comes and what eventuates from this um, VA.
1: And I thought some of the other comments online that I saw that I thought were really interesting were, um, and I don't know the best term now, free house buyers, so buyers at free houses, so not your hotels, that loved their caddy platform, which seemed to which was aimed at sort of. Um, enabling those businesses to make selections about what they wanted rather than being sold to. And so, you know, I I know there was a a company in New Zealand that was looking at doing something similar. So it'll be, you know, there was clearly an innovation need there. um, But it's just questionable whether um, it, it was able, as you say, Ian, taken up sufficiently. So, Claire, I'm hoping that we can um, lean on you as well, again, as our guest to let us know about a brewery for Brewery of the Week. Uh, Bluestone Yeast are our sponsors of Brewery of the Week and Bluestone Yeast can supply pitchers of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per millilitre. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518 3172 and talk all things yeast.
0: I do. So I'm staying in WA, but in true WA style, I can travel quite far. I'm going seven and a half um, hours south to Esperance today. Wow! Um, to Lucky Bay Brewing. So Lucky Bay Brewing is. Uh, Esperance is gorgeous. It's just at the entrance of Cape Le Grand National Park, and um, obviously it's not a local I can pop to. But when we're down that way, we love to to go there. Um, Nigel and the team have some fantastic beers on. Nigel's a bit of a grain expert. So there's some really interesting beers made with unmalted um, malts and um, his dark lager is an absolute cracker. So that's one I would definitely recommend if you're in those neck of the woods.
1: Wow, I love that. Seven and a half hours. Most people, you know, in you're halfway across England at that rate, right? right? Like, <laughs> you know, you're in three countries in Europe driving seven and a half hours and here you sort of haven't left WA.
2: So that's seven and a half hours south from Perth.
0: Yes,
2: (laughs) far out. It it is incredible because you know I always sort of think you know, oh, Perth's down near the bottom of WA, but obviously there's a long way down, like seven and a half hours um, from from Brisbane gets you well down into to New South Wales. Um, It gets you a fair way up the Queensland. coast so yeah that's that's yeah it, just just proving to me how massive WA is and how much I need to get over there some Sunday.
0: Oh it's beautiful I know there's a long way for a beer it's definitely worth it in Cape Grand National Park um, which is where they're very close to is I think the best beaches in the world it's where you get that famous picture of the kangaroo on the white sands. So definitely worth popping in.
1: <laughs> well, I'm only going to make it to Margaret River in that and I thought that felt like it was going to be a hard slog out of Brisbane and so I feel like I have to approach that from a completely different trip. Yes, yeah, so tickets are on sale now for WABBA while we think about WA uh, for the Western Australian Brewers Conference and also for BrewCon. So... um Get involved, folks, um, with your local conference. Get involved in the Cicerone Association if that's what you want to get involved with. Get involved with Pink Boots if that's your jam. Uh, Get involved with Brews News. If if you've got a hot take or you've got a topic you want to talk about, send it through. Um, But, you know, get involved in your industry. Um, It'll be super rewarding. Claire? Claire?
0: And, uh, yeah, you've actually just reminded me, Pink Boots have started um, posting where the various Pink Boots brew days are around the country. That's right. So either check out the Instagram page, Facebook, or the local Pink Boots groups, and it'd be really awesome if you come along. Cool.
1: So with that rally cry um to to everyone listening and all your friends that you share this with um that wraps up a week of news your hosts have been me sabrina kunz ian watson claire clouting and special reporting from matt kirkegaard the show is produced and edited by joe helder we thank rallying's label stickers and packaging and bluestone yeast for their support in making this episode possible see you next week